0: Father, we thank you so much for gathering us here this morning. We ask you to help us that we might listen carefully and understand how we might please you and how to honour you and serve you. And that we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I find reading through Matthew's Gospel deeply moving, deeply challenging and sometimes a shocking thing. Uh, the passage that we read this morning is one of them. Uh, I find the, the content of this parable, or, or these four parables, enlightening, encouraging, reassuring, but at the same time, deeply, deeply disturbing and shocking. So my job this morning is to, um, uh, to bring this out to you, and I hope and pray that as we go through this passage together, that you would make the same response, the, the response that Matthew, the, the skillful writer, uh, was intending for his readers to go through. So without much ado, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bible to the passage we just read. Um, hopefully you haven't closed it. It hasn't been long since we read this passage. So let's um, have a look at this passage together. The first two of these four parables speak about joyfully giving up everything else in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Joyfully giving up everything in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the idea of giving things up in order to gain something else or something much more precious is an idea that we need to think very carefully about. Uh, Because being by nature greedy, I don't think we like such an idea. You know, um, uh, we only want to add more things to what we already have rather than giving things up in order to gain something else. I mean, how nice and convenient will it be if Jesus said, just continue on, but put something else on uh, in addition to that. That would make our Christian life so much easier, don't you think? Just carry on. But just to do extra a little bit more, if that's what Jesus said, our life would be so much easier. But notice what he's trying to say here in these two parables. A man dug up a treasure, and so in order to gain that treasure, he had to go and sell everything, and he happily and joyfully did that. Now we think, of course, that's what I would do. of course. Think about this, um, the idea, what Jesus is saying. No, go and sell everything in order to buy this. And we don't like that idea. Um, that's why people don't like the idea of repentance. You know, giving uh, up everything must surely include giving up the past, the former way of life. You know, I used to live for myself, uh, perhaps my immediate family, but, but that's about it. But becoming a Christian means saying no to such way of life and uh, start living or living your life for Jesus. You See, this is why Jesus said you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Selling everything must include giving up yourself. But giving up things in order to gain the kingdom of heaven is also, in addition to that, an ongoing process that must take place throughout your life, isn't it? And so the writer of the Hebrews encourages us to, uh, uh, with these words, I've just put these up, uh, these words up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Uh, is Here we go. Is it too small for you to read? I'll read it out to you. Let's make sure that we throw away all the weight and the sin that entangles our life and run the race. Uh, Right at the beginning of the uh, the Gospel, Jesus taught what true discipleship looks like. Remember uh, what happened to the first few people who featured uh, in this Gospel uh, as Jesus began his public ministry. Uh, in chapter four, verse eighteen, how we meet uh, the first of these two, Peter and his brother Andrew. Jesus called them, and they left their net and followed Jesus immediately. We are told. Or soon after that, we meet another uh, two people, James and his brother John. And this is what uh, this is how uh, Matthew reports this 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 incident. He said again that. They, they, they followed Jesus, leaving behind their boat and their father. I mean, it's pretty confronting, don't you think? There is this man, this stranger, who says to these two people, grown-up men, says, you, come and follow me, and they immediately abandon everything, their family, their, their livelihood, and they begin following him. What kind of absurd idea is that? But by putting these things in such a shocking way, Matthew is challenging us to think about what it means for us to follow Jesus or what it means for us to gain our entry into the kingdom of God. See, this is a serious business, don't you think? Or have a look at what what happened in chapter 8, verse 21. Chapter 8, verse 21. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to them, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So what does it look like for you and me to go and sell everything in order to gain the treasure? What does it mean for us? How do we do that? Well, does that mean that we all need to become a monk? You know, uh, uh, that's how people used to think in the, in the Middle Ages. Uh, in order for us to live the kind of life that Jesus was demanding us, that we really go through this extreme measure of becoming a monk. Now, why don't we do that? Can I ask you uh, to turn to persons person sitting next to you and say, well, no, uh, why don't we encourage everyone to shave our hair off um, abandon our family, go into the, the mountains or a secluded place and become a monk. Why don't we do that? Can, can I ask you to just discuss this, uh, with the person sitting next to you for a second? I love, to, um, I love to hear reflection, but as you know, well, we don't have enough time to do that. Well, first and foremost, remember that there are other parts of the Bible that speaks about our family life, our life as whatever, right? It's not as if the Bible condemns um, our personal life, our day-to-day life, um, our life as a father, as a mother, or as, as, a, as, a, as a child, or as a, whatever it might be. The Bible upholds those things. There's nothing wrong living that way. So becoming a monk does not necessarily mean complying with what Jesus is demanding us. Uh, you can be a monk all you like, but continue on in your heart living your life in defiance of God. Well, hear what Jesus says about the kingdom here. Kingdom of God is like the treasure that someone found and this person decided to go and sell everything. Now, I think what we need to do is understand that, remember that, how important it is to gain entry into the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? That there is nothing more important than gaining entry into the kingdom of God. Do you think it is really, really worthwhile giving up a $70 million mansion to go into the kingdom of God? You know what? If I had a mansion that is worth $70 million. And a question was put to me, do you rather want to keep a $70 million mansion or go into the kingdom of God? I think it would be a really, really easy decision. Don't you think? I wouldn't think twice about it. Of course I want to go into the kingdom of God. $70 million, it's nothing. I mean, you think, no, 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 how can that be? if your life is, is on the line and you say which one you're going to choose, of course, that is not a difficult decision. But I think the, the challenge is with the small things in life, right? So understand the value of the kingdom of God. Listen to what Jesus is saying, that this treasure is really, really worthwhile. But I think small things in life are a lot more difficult to to consider. You know um, uh, the idea of contentment, for example. Uh, Giving things up or wanting more things, uh, wanting something else more than the kingdom of God in our day-to-day life, comes out in a very subtle kind of way. You know, um, uh, it's very hard to be thankful to God for you know, what He has allowed you, you you have, until it is taken away. Uh, for example, I mean, as you know, uh, I had some health problems. Um, uh, it's a it's been a fascinating experience um, going through this 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 journey. Um, whenever I go to a, a, a kind of a rehabilitation program or um, a consultation with nurses and doctors and other medical teams about how to deal with my condition and things like that. There are a whole range of people sitting in a room all concerned about uh, their life and their health, and rightly so. But as I sit there listen to them, um, I begin to realise health becomes the most precious thing in everyone's life. You would do everything in order to give up Uh, in order to gain a healthy lifestyle and prolong your life. And I sat there, I said to one of them, it is what it is. I mean, God has given you a life to live and if you happen to um, have a condition that will prohibit you from doing certain things, well, what can you do? And the person sitting next to me just couldn't understand. Wouldn't you rather prolong your life? And I said, no, it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm a Christian person and I know the eternal home and uh, the Bible keeps on telling us how wonderful it is in order to get there. And the person said, now, you've been brainwashed. But contentment is a great idea, isn't it? Uh, Enjoy what God has given you and enjoy it while it lasts but when it's taken away for in God's good pleasure then we say well it's gone i think that's a way of living your life understanding the value of the eternal kingdom giving up 70 million dollar mansion is really really difficult but being content in our life day to day life is really really difficult properly understand what people of this this world normally value will not last. Most of them will mean nothing in the kingdom of God. Don't buy the lies of the world that material abundance will guarantee happiness and security. We keep uh, falling for these lies we need to possess more. We need to experience more. We need to put up more photos on our Instagram and, and exhibit the world how happy we are. Uh, by going places, by eating certain food, by experiencing certain things, we will enjoy our life and we'll become more and more happy. And, and so in search of these instant pleasures, we keep neglecting the important things. Giving up a $70 million mansion is really, difficult, really easy. But giving up small things in our life, our holidays, our entertainment, uh, our investment, these things become really, really difficult. You know, discipleship is hard and costly. It requires sacrifice. But reward makes it absolutely worthwhile, don't you think? It is worth persevering and enduring. It felt like it giving up because you feel that you're making too much sacrifice. Oh, the 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 commitment that I'm going to make uh, to attend and and run the Sunday school or run youth group or uh, coming to a Bible study group on on Wednesday night. These things they're really really difficult. And so we make small incremental compromises along the way and before we realise. Uh, think We don't think like Christians anymore. We don't behave like Christians anymore. We don't make decisions like Christians anymore. Well, why do we end up in a place like that? Because of the small incremental decisions that we, we have made all along the way, the way over a long period of time. You know, if you're not married, it might mean that you choose to stay single for the rest of your life in order to have more time and freedom to do ministry. I mean, that doesn't apply to everyone, but it might apply to you. When Jesus says, go and sell everything and, and, uh, and buy the treasure, it might mean that for you. But if you're married, it might mean that you work hard to stay faithful to the the, the promises that you have made on your wedding day to leave everyone else behind and commit yourself to your spouse and therefore resist the sexual temptations to commit adultery. You know, leaving some or going and selling everything uh, might mean that for you. We, Because we live in a society where we value um, uh, 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 physical pleasure, a fleeing kind of uh, 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 instantaneous satisfaction, we might fall into the temptation of committing uh, sexual uh, uh, sins. It's very common amongst middle-aged men. You know, I went to uh, another church last week uh, because I was on a break and uh, I uh, met with another man uh, in his uh, uh, mid-fifties and uh, he, he told me about his life. See, you know, I was going through a middle-life crisis. And I realised a lot of my friends were going through a middle-life crisis. Men in their late 40s and early 50s, they all go through this stage of apparently. And people have different ways of dealing with, with these, this crisis. And one of them is to go and commit adultery. But in order to gain entry into the kingdom of God, you say, no, no, no. I'm not going to give in to the pressure of my own stupidity and the pressure of everyone else but what the world is doing. I'm going to continue on. I'm going to, to, to stay focused. But that's one of the ways of you selling everything, single-mindedly looking onto this kingdom that is coming. It might mean that you choose not to take the job in order to love and serve the family and the brothers and sisters of the church. Position in another city, in another country, sounds so glamorous and tempting. Uh, I often look at the phone and, and in my Instagram notice just keep sending me the notices of the people who have taken the job overseas in, in London or in New York or somewhere and, and they all sit in these fancy offices and, and, and they say, what a wonderful life that I, I have. Very tempting to think that way. I can go on uh, listing suggestions, but I'll not be able to uh, cover everything. You will need to continue practicing making decisions in order to put God's kingdom and his righteousness before everything else. That's how we sell everything in order to gain our eternal kingdom. Start with small things such as making holiday decisions, for example you know i know there are those of uh, those people who deliberately choose not to go away on a holiday during the period when there are usually many visitors and the newcomers like easter or christmas time or new year's day why do they do that well because they want to be helpful they want to serve by welcoming them they want to hang around and they want to uh, to to make sure that people are well looked after Why do they do that? Because they love and care about the people and their salvation. Well, that's how we give up things. That's how we go and sell everything in order to gain this treasure in the the eternal kingdom. But notice that this is a a joyful decision. The man who accidentally uncovered the large amount of treasure buried in in the ground, or the merchant who finally found the pearl that he's been looking for all his life, they went away singing in excitement with bounce in, in, in every step that they take. They can't wait to go and sell everything in order to get their hands on their treasures. Why? Because they understood how valuable this treasure really was. Remember uh, what one hymn writer wrote? Um, I was going to put it up on the screen, but uh, I think we lost track of where we are. Um, One of the hymn writers wrote this. When Christ shall come with the shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. You see, this person understood there's a a joyful, joyful acknowledgement of what it's going to be, how wonderful and amazing it's going to be when we meet, finally, the one who came to save us. But this is the thing. It's wonderful to know the kingdom of heaven is so valuable and that we joyfully go and give up everything else but that's not everything that Jesus says. The third parable that Jesus speaks in verse 47 is so confronting, disturbing, that we can't shy away from from this, this passage. Let me just read it out to you again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, man drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers, but threw away the bad. So it'll be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. We've already seen in the earlier part of chapter 13 how Jesus does not shy away from unveiling the, the the confronting and the uncomfortable reality of the kingdom. You know how we wish that Jesus just stopped at verse 46 and went on talking about something more pleasant, more palatable. But he doesn't. And he did this... Uh, uh, he did it in, in, in the parables of the good and, and, and the good seed and, 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 and the weeds uh, that we saw in verse 13, 24. He wants us to understand that this kingdom will sort people into two groups, not three, not four, but two. One group is for those who are judged to be evil, and the other, the righteous. The kingdom is reserved for, for only for those who are regarded as righteous. Not everyone will enter the kingdom. There will be those who will miss out. For God will order his angels to separate evil from the righteous. This is a confronting reality, isn't it? A day will come when everyone who ever lived in the world will be brought back to life and they will stand before the judgment seat of God and they will be sorted. Which side will you be on? Well, in order for uh, uh, gain entry into the kingdom of God, it is clear that we have to be one of the righteous. Are you righteous? How do we become righteous? What does it mean to be righteous in Matthew's thinking? Well, uh, you might remember in our last week's passage, the very end bit in verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Remember that part? The righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. So as we think about who the righteous is, uh, this is a really helpful kind of um, a clue, isn't it? The people who are regarded righteous are those people who would regard God as their father? I mean, there are a whole range of issues that we need to think through for the rest of Matthew's gospel. But it is a, a kind of an insightful comment that, that, that Matthew is making for us to, to understand what he means by father. It is a kind of a relational thing. You know, it is not a religious thing. In order for you to become righteous, uh, you need to practice certain religiosities and, and practice certain things. It's very easy to 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 uh, to Make someone righteous in their sense, all you need to do is attend church and and become religious and, and 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 so on. but these righteous people are those who are happy to call God their father. There is a deep trusting relationship I mean there are a whole range of things that I need to 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 go on and 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 say about this, but i I'll, I'll just stop it there for 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 now, uh, I think as we work our way through Matthew's Gospel, it'll become more and more clear how to enter into this special relationship with, with God. Primarily, it is not through religiosity, but it is by putting your hope and faith in Jesus and him alone. That's how you become righteous. But what I want to focus upon this morning is the confronting reality of true Jesus. You know, it is clearly contrary to a a popular caricature of Jesus in which he is portrayed as all-embracing, all-accepting, all-forgiving man who asks no questions. Those who persist with such wish-washy view of Jesus say that Jesus uh, was all about love and that means he would accept everyone as they are. No change is required. No repentance necessary. Just come and Jesus will endorse whatever sinful lifestyle that you have been caught up in in the past and you can continue doing whatever you want to do because Jesus will not intervene. He will simply endorse whatever you have been doing. You know, the most dangerous lie is the one that sounds almost true. It's like saying God is love. The argument goes like this. God is love. That means God loves you no matter what. Therefore, you can still be God's friend even if you continue doing what you prefer doing. After all, isn't that what true friends should be like? Accepting you as you are without demanding a change. So if you prefer living in a kind of a, say for example, a homosexual relationship, there is nothing wrong with that. God will understand. He loves you and he wants you to be happy and, and, and the same for the dog tree. You find another woman, other than your current wife, more attractive. The true happiness, after all, is being true to yourself and to your feelings. So go on and love another woman. God will understand because He's love. Now, if you're a careful Bible reader, you might remember that the sentence, God, God is love, is actually taken straight from the Bible. Remember that? Does anyone know where, where it's taken from? Uh, it'll come up on the screen. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. But doing this, but saying uh, the things that I've been saying is actually taking the verse completely out of the context, isn't it? You choose only a small portion of the Bible with a a deliberate purpose of wanting it to say whatever you want it to say. It's called proof texting. To show how silly this argument is, it's really easy. You just got to to read a few more verses on. So let me just read the rest of the passage. If anyone uh, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. In this, that uh, the love of God was made manifest in us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to, uh, his son to be propitiation for our sins. You said, the crucial word there is the word propi- propitiation, isn't it? Uh, it means to turn aside someone's anger, usually by paying a price. This word is a very powerful word explaining how God has loved us. He doesn't say, it's okay, whatever you do, Just uh, I'm going to accept you without asking you to change. Rather, it shows us that God's fiercely burning anger towards sinners because of their sinful thoughts and attitudes and behaviour has been appeased by someone else stepping in to receive the punishment, to ease God's anger. So you know when the Bible says God is love, it immediately speaks about the reality of God's judgment and hell. And so Jesus often spoke about hell. Jesus believed in hell. And the picture of hell which Jesus presents is shockingly terrifying. He says that it is a place of a fiery furnace. Once thrown into that place, there can only be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Try gnashing your teeth. You know, bite your teeth really hard. Go on, have a, have a go at it. Bite your teeth really hard and start moving your jaw from side to side to grind your teeth. You know, what kind of anguish must you be in to feel that? Those of you uh, who grind teeth um, while you're sleeping, you wake up in the morning and your jaw hurts. You don't realise you're doing it, but but sleeping next to someone who grinds teeth is a painful experience. It's really, really painful. My wife tells me. (laughs) It's an act of unspeakable anguish and pain and suffering. And you don't want to end up in that place. It is horrible. It is shocking. But that's what will happen on the day that the Son, that Jesus, returns. So let me conclude by um, you know, speaking about true discipleship. Jesus asked, "Have you understood these things? Have you understood these things?" And they said to him, "Yes." And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. It took me a while to work out what what was going on here. The important thing to remember here is the word that has been translated here for us as the scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I don't know uh, uh, how else... ESV would have translated this because the word there, uh, being trained for the kingdom of heaven, is actually being discipled uh, in the things of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, This whole idea of discipleship um, comes out again. Uh, After all, Matthew means the person who who learns. And so uh, it keeps uh, drawing our attention back to what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And Jesus says, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Uh, what is new, I, what is old and what is new, I think is is referring to the Old Testament and the New Testament or, or the Old Covenant and, and what Jesus is about to uh, to 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 unleash as, as a new covenant. Uh, if you understand these things that Jesus has been talking about, then you will understand what God has been doing all throughout the Old Testament period, as well as what he's about to do through Jesus for the rest of eternity. And so the person who understands these things will see the amazing work that God has been doing and he'll bring it, bring it out maybe for a public display, maybe to, to share with everybody else. But the important thing is understanding the words of Jesus is actually going to force you to think about how you live your life here and now. Unfortunately, this little section ends with a very sad story, don't you think? You know, when Jesus had finished saying these things, these parables, he went away from there, verse 53, and coming to his own hometown, he taught them in the synagogues, and they were astonished and said, "Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this carpenter's son. Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers and James has Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us?" Where did this man get all these things? And then notice what it says here. They took offence at him. It doesn't say, therefore they fell down before him and acknowledged him to be the son of God or they came before him and uh, repented and followed him. None of those. They took offence at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour except in his hometown and in his own household. I think Jesus is anticipating uh, what is going to happen to him in the future. As we know in the rest of the the, the gospel, uh, there is going to be an intensifying tension between Jesus and his opponents, even to the point of him being crucified upon the cross. People will listen to Jesus and they will make up their mind as you do now. You might be sitting there thinking, yes, this is all very true. I need to take this very, very seriously. And I need to make some amendments in in the way I live. Maybe some of the decisions that I've made, well, I need to go back and revisit them and I need to change certain things. You might be thinking about that. But you might be thinking, this is all rubbish, It doesn't make any sense. In fact, the last 37 minutes, nothing has gone through my mind. I'm not going to take anything. I'm not going to take things seriously. I'm just going to continue on. I've done my religious bit. And whatever Jesus says, well, I've got my my armour on. It's not going to penetrate me. I'm going to make sure that I've got my guards up and my defence is impenetrable. I'm just going to continue on without making any change. Well, then you haven't understood anything. But remember the serious warning that Jesus is giving us this morning. The kingdom of of God is like a fisherman going through each fish, sorting it out. How terrifying, how challenging, how confronting, how deeply disturbing. Jesus, real Jesus, really is. But at the same time, it is so wonderful to know him, to be our saviour, to know him as the one who laid down his life in order for us to enjoy the relationship, being able to call God our Father and being called righteous. What amazing joy and kindness this really is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, for his insightful, penetrating, and challenging words. We thank you that he did not shy away from speaking the truth. Father, we so earnestly pray that you would help us to take his word seriously with faith, with repentance that we might keep going back to him and learn from him and live our life accordingly. Father, we pray that especially if there are people here who are thinking through uh, how to become uh, followers of Jesus, we pray for them especially. Please enable them to make the right decision that will guarantee their place in the eternal kingdom. We pray, Father, that we will do everything we can in order to help them make those decisions. But for those of us who have already made the decision to follow Jesus, Father, we earnestly pray that you will help us to understand the true value of this amazing kingdom that you have prepared for us. Help us, Father, not to make small compromises in our life, but keep on living our life in eager expectation of your son's return. And we ask and pray this. For his sake. Amen. His sake.